we're at the bottom of 43B, the last two words on the line, and we're trying to figure out whose opinion um, that si'ar itself is also in the prohibition of being burnt on the Mizbeach. Typically, we say that you're not allowed to burn um, leavened on the Mizbeach, leavened products on the Mizbeach, so si'ar is also included in this prohibition. Whose opinion is this? This is like the opinion of Rebbe Eliezer, who says, call. Eliezer, in other words, he takes the, now he doesn't say it, the Torah says call, right? He takes the word in the Torah of call, all leavened products, and he says it's coming to include sar as well. The Gemara then responds, if that is indeed the opinion of really, it's going according to the opinion of Eliezer. So he should say that over there by Pesach as well, it should be the same halacha, right? That even if it's just a mixture of forbidden and forbidden uh, um, and permitted, products, and you only get to a kezayas by mixing together some that is permitted, a food, you know, half of an olive's worth of permitted food, half of an olive's worth of forbidden food, and that's already sufficient, and that should be enough on Pesach also to be able to violate the prohibition of eating on Pesach chametz, even though you only ate half the kezayas of forbidden chametz. Yomara says, indeed, that is so, that Rebbe Lezer would say that eating chametz on Pesach, even just one I'm sorry, not Rebbe Yazar, but Ziri's understanding of Rebbe Yazar would be that even just eating one half kezayas of chametz mixed with one half kezayas of hector food, of permitted food on Pesach will actually do the trick in terms of the prohibition of eating a kezayas worth of chametz. Well, Fuki made the Abaya, and this is coming to exclude the opinion of Abaya. What did Abaya say? The Amar, because he said, He said that there is liability when you burn less than a kezayas worth of Chametz on the Mizbeach, you already are liable. What does that mean? That means that you're liable for burning Chametz on the Mizbeach even when it is less than a Kazayas. Okay? So, therefore, Kimash Molan, Dehakdara, Lav Lepachas Mikazayas. So, what we see from here is that the Hakdara is not coming to teach you, not, not Hakdara, that there is no Hakdara, right? No, no, um, no Lav. No prohibition violated when you burn less than a kezayis. Yasef Rebdimi, Rebdimi was sitting. And he was saying over this whole memra with this Malikas, Ziri, and Abaya about this question. So Abaya says to Rebdimi, And is that true that in regards to all other prohibitions of the Torah, that we do not mix together prohibition and permitted? Okay, so it's important to recognize something that uh, it, the whenever the Torah gives a prohibition about eating certain foods or about carrying certain foods, there is always a requisite measure for which you're going to be liable to either the lav, for which you're going to get malchus, right, or for the kares, whatever is going to be the the uh, the ramifications of eating or carrying. It's going to be a certain measure that's necessary to be carried or to be eaten, right? Now, there is parenthetically machlekes Rabbi Yechanan and Reish Lakish. Right? And the Machlekes of Yechon is, is there even a prohibition on a Torah level when you eat less than the requisite measure, right? So for example, let's say the Torah says you cannot eat one kezayis worth of truma if you are not a kayin. And if you do, you're going to be getting, you know, death, right? If you are a czar eating one kezayis worth of truma. Let's say you eat half a kezayis worth of truma. Is it that it's not prohibited at all on a Torah level? Or is it that it's prohibited on a Torah level, it just doesn't bear the same punishment? Rabbi Yochanan takes the opinion that indeed it is prohibited on a Torah level, and that is how we pass it, okay? Now, 
All that being said, the Gemara is not dealing with that point. The Gemara is dealing with, we know that there's a requisite measure for the actual punishment that the Torah describes, whether it is the punishment of malchus for certain activities, of, of lashes, whether it is the punishment of curries to be cut off, whether it is the punishment of misas fidei whatever the punishment is going to be, the Torah gives us a measure. When we talk about that measure, is it sufficient if you mix together prohibited, that is not the requisite measure, together with permitted, that will together combine to the requisite measure, is that sufficient or not? So Abayah says to Avdimi, is that true that any other prohibition in the Torah, we do not combine permitted objects to reach the requisite measure? Is that true? But not, we learned in a Mishnah. Let's say someone made a, uh, a chalent, let's say, right, of truma. It's a chalent made out of truma products. And what happened is he took the shum and the shemen, he took the garlic and the oil, right? And that he actually took of chulin. They were made with unconsecrated objects that everybody's permitted to eat, not just go out. The nugat full yoim the mikdasan. And a full yoim, right? Someone who has gone to the mikvah already to become tar, but it's not yet nightfall, okay? And he touches part of this food. Pasal as kulan. He has violated, not violated, he has prohibited all this food from being eaten. Why? Because all this food is able to become tame on the level of just the tfulyom touching it. Now, why can all the food become tame if it's just the tfulyom? A tfulyom is a very low level of tama. Now, we've discussed many times that when you have low levels of tama, you cannot impart ritual impurity, tama, to something which is only chulin, which is unconsecrated food. So why is it that he can impart ritual impurity to all of the food? Because the bulk of this food is truma. And truma can become ritually impure even when it's full young touches it. Because truma is so holy, it can even become ritually impure from this very minor level of access to ritual impurity because it is so holy in its inherent self. Now, that's true in the case when the majority of the food is truma and part of it is chulin. How about the other way around? I'm a kafa shell chulin. Let's say primarily this challenge is made out of chulin product, unconsecrated food. And the oil and the garlic are made from truma. And this someone who's gone to the mikvah that day and is a very low level of ritual impurity. He touches part of it, right? He is only invalidating the part that actually was touched, but nothing more. Why is even the part that he touched going to become puzzle, invalid, to be eaten by a Kohen, right, in a state of ritual purity? Why is that? Right? Why is this a problem? We should say that the tavlin, that the spices that were touched, in other words, what was put into here that was actually truma in the second case? It was the spices and the oil. Well, unless you're making a marad challenge, right? The spices and the oil are not the majority, right? So why is it that we say that by touching the part of this food, the part that you touched is forbidden to be eaten by a Kohen? What do you mean? How much of it did he touch? The only part of it that was truma is a very minute portion. So that should not be rendered ritually impure at all. Because it should be nullified by rove, right? In the majority. What's the reason? Since if a non-Kayan would eat one Kazayas worth of this food, then therefore it's not going to be considered to be nullified. Gemara says, hey, what's the case? Is it not because the permitted food is going to be considered to combine with the forbidden food, right? 
In other words, how could it possibly be that this, to speak out back what the question was, this is all Abaya asking a question on Rabbi And Abaya is saying like this, we know that the halacha teaches, in Eitana teaches us like this, when you have a stew or chalant, right, that is made out of chulin, unconsecrated food, with a tiny bit of spices and oil that is made of consecrated food. If a tulyon touches part of the food, Part of the part that he touches is rendered ritually impure, invalid to be eaten by a kayin in a state of ritual purity. Now, why is it rendered ritually impure? Should it not be nullified? The Gemara says it must be the reason why it's not nullified, if I is asking. It must be because we say that when you take a tiny bit of ritually uh, prohibited food and you mix it with ritually permitted food, it could actually be combined to create the requisite measure of Easter. And that's why it's not nullified. The Gemara says, Lloyd, it's not so. My kazayas, when we say that there is a kazayas, that there's an olive's worth, the ikka kazayas, achilas pras. Interesting. Here's the case. Indeed, there is a tremendous amount of chalant here. And the chalant is so big that the, the spices and the oil that are from truma, if you would eat a large substance of this chalant within a kadei achilas pras, kadei achilas pras is the measure of time to eat a loaf of bread that is... Um, made from uh, you know a certain measure of wheat, and it's about nine minutes worth of time, right? This comes up often in in halacha. So that if you'd be able to eat one kazayas worth of truma, in other words, the spices that you would eat in a nine minute meal of eating this chalant that Moran made, right? That we all miss and long to have back soon, hopefully. So you would end up with one kazayas worth of spices and oil. Then what would happen is you're then considered to be in violation, not, not a violation, but since it is true that you would have ended up eating one kazayas worth in a time period of eating a half a loaf of bread. So therefore, it's considered to be significant. And therefore, the part that the tulium touches is considered to not be nullified. Now the Gemara says, one second, the whole idea of eating one kazayas worth of food in in the time period of which it would take to eat a half a loaf of bread is that something that is on a Torah level, right? Amale, so he says back, in, indeed, that is so. If so, I might think you're Well, if indeed that's true, that as long as you would be able to eat one kazayas worth of food, even though only one part of this mixture is forbidden, and most of it is permitted, but if you would be able to eat one kazayas worth of the, the ratio of forbidden to prohibited is such that if Typically, when eating this dish, you would end up with one kazayas worth of prohibited food within that nine-minute period. It's the equivalent of eating food that is just all uh, prohibited, right? Okay, fine. That's great. But if so, I got a problem. The Chachamim argue on Rabbi Lazar by Kutach What's Kutach We've said many times, it's Babylonian um, delicious dip made from these, uh, you know, moldy bread and uh, yogurt. And, you know, so the halacha is like this. The halacha is... Uh, is this or is this not prohibited to have on Pesach, right? To have anywhere, not, not to have, it's definitely prohibited to eat. The question is, is it prohibited to have, right? Now, why does the Chachamim say that it's okay? We should say that this is problematic. This should be considered to be Chametz Gomor. Why? Because this Kutach indeed contains within it enough Chametz that if you were eating it straight, then in nine minutes, you would end up eating enough Chametz that would be Kazayas worth of Chametz. Elamites, what are you going to say? It must be because the permitted food is considered to be combining with the prohibited food. In other words, your entire idea of kezayis, 
if, as long as within this mixture you would end up eating, the ratio is such that you'd end up eating a kazayas worth, you look at it as significant. That's not going to fly, because if that was so, then kruta chabadli should be forbidden according to the chachamim also. So it must be your first answer was right. Hepter is mitzvah for iser. The permitted food can actually combine with the prohibited food to reach the requisite measure for prohibition. End of the day, though, has this answer. Why do the Chachamim argue on Rebbe Yezer by the Kutah Chabavli case? So rather, you have to leave aside the case of Kutah Chabavli. The less fake is less pass. Why is Kutah Chabavli different? Because indeed, Kutah Chabavli, this mixture, this Babylonian yogurt dip, you will not end up eating a a uh, kazayas worth of prohib uh, prohibited food within the time period of eating half loaf of bread. Why? Because if it was eaten all by itself, plain, the kasara, the kaachale is just swallowing it, right? Like this hot dip, he's swallowing it. But it's a kaladam. Who in the right mind would do that? So he's such a strange bird for doing this. It's not considered a normal way of eating. And therefore, this is not considered to be included in this, uh, something that is considered to be significant. The now, let's say he ends up uh, dipping bread into it and eating it. Less fake kazayas, he's not going to end up eating one kazayas worth of chametz within a chilas pas time frame. You have two pots in front of you on a fire. One of them is chulun, unconsecrated. One of them is truma, consecrated for kaihanim. In front of them, you have two. Um, uh, a meducha is um, like a handheld uh, mortar and pestle for spices. And it contains spices within it. One of them is chulin, um, and one of them is truma. And what happens is like this: the spices in front of these two pots. One spice, one of the spices fell into one pot, the other spice fell into the other pot. We're not sure which spices fell into which pot. And remember, one of these spices is chulin, one of these spices is truma. Now, if the spices of chulin fell into chulin and spices of truma fell into truma, everything is great; nothing's changed. But if it's vice versa, now we're up the creek. What's the halacha? Mutarin, they're both permitted to eat from. Shani Yomer, because I'm able to say, I'm allowed to assume that the chulun one fell, the chulun spices fell into the chulun pot, and the truma spices fell into the truma pot. Now, the Gemara is now going to expand upon its question. If you were of the opinion that if it is a food in which you would end up eating one kazayas worth of truma in kadeachilis pas time period, then why? And it's that would be something that's prohibited on a Torah level. How are you allowed to assume that the truma fell into the truma and the chulin fell into the chulin? Let's be clear. When we say you assume that it fell into this and assume it fell into that, and that's not based on any probabilities. That's based essentially on saying we treat it on a rabbinic level as if it's permitted to be lenient. Now, permitted to be lenient when it comes to rabbinic question, not when it comes to the Risa question, if the measurement of truma within the main pot of stew is such that it would be able to be in and it will be forbidden on a total level now for Yisrael to eat it, then how can you say you could assume that on a rabbinic level is permitted? Amalei said to him, Ah, you forgot something over here. On a Torah level, what can become truma? Only dagon, grain, tirish, right? And shaman, right? Only, the only things that become truma are olives, grapes, and grains. So if you know about spices, you have your pepper, you have your salt, you have your spices, that's not true monotoral level. 
So it's true that it, if it is, if it would be true on a Torah level, it would be sufficient measure that you would not be able to be lenient because we would have to say suffix to Arisa Lechumra. When it comes to a doubt about the Arisa law, you have to be stringent. However, this is not true on the Arisa, it's only true on the Arisa. next case. You have two baskets. One of them is chul and one of them is chuma. And in front of them are two saw measurements. One of them is a saw of chul and one of them is a saw of chuma. And each basket, each measurement of the spices fell into the baskets in front of them. We tar and they're both permitted. Shani, as I say, chulan the chulan fell into chulan. And the chuma fell into the chuma. Once again, similar question. However, this one is more difficult to get away with. Why? Because in this one, it sounds like we might even be talking about cases in which the measurements are of food items that are truma on a Torah level. Well, if they're measurements that are truma on a Torah level, and if we were right about our original premise, that when the ratio is such that if you were going to eat a nine-minute meal of this food, you would end up with one kazayas worth of the forbidden food, then you're up to Cree. How do we say you're allowed to assume that the chulun fell into chulun, chuma fell into chuma, and everything is permitted? The only way you could assume that is if you assume this is only rabbinic. This is not rabbinic. This is Torah. Gemara answers, Oh, you missed the boat. We're talking about chuma in this time period. And we know that after the base of Mikdash is destroyed, right? Chuma is no longer applicable on a Torah level. Truma is only a rabbinic device at this point. You keep in mind the zecher for the mikdash, right? Hopefully soon we'll be doing truma on a Torah level again. Okay, good. So now the Gemara says like this: So earlier, what we said is that the law of mishras, right? We talked about yesterday at the end of the daf. We talked about the idea of the mishras. We said that by a nazir, the Torah tells us that a mishras is also forbidden. And what's a mishras? A mishras is when there is bread that is soaked in truma wine. We said that, not truma wine, I'm sorry, in regular wine. And we said the Nazar is not permitted to eat it. Now, what's the case the Nazar is not permitted to eat it? It must be that there was not really a measure of uh, yayin in the reg regular measurement. It's only together with the actual bread volume that we get to the measure. And is that what Mishras is coming to include? I mean, we needed actually Mishras for that, which was bought in Abraisa. Mishras, the case of Mishras, the case of Mishras is to give a scenario that the tam becomes like the ikr. What does this mean? This means that on a we have a halacha. We have a halacha like this. When you have a situation, now we're going to go to Torah level of what's nullified. We're not going to deal with rabbinic levels. Rabbinic levels are going to be more confusion or less confusion, whichever way you want it. However, it might not be what you're used to. On a Torah level, if you have something that is a prohibited food that falls into a permitted food, as long as the roi, the majority of the food here is permitted food and it became mixed up together, you'd be permitted to eat it. However, on a Torah level, you would still be forbidden to eat if it is tam ki'ikr. What does that mean? That means that if you are still able to taste the forbidden food, even though the permitted food is the roiv, the majority, and mixed in together, you would still be prohibited to eat that food because we say tam ki'ikr. The taste is takes um, precedence or the taste becomes primary. Okay? So now, what's the halacha? Let's say a Nazir takes grapes and he's, he, uh, he's shara, he, um, he soaks the grapes in water. And then after he soaks the grapes in the water, now he wants to drink the water. Like water is grape, grape flavor infused water, and now it has the flavor of yayin. He's going to be liable to mock us for drinking it. 
From here you see that to the entire Torah Kula, that anytime we have a scenario in which you have the taste of the forbidden item, it becomes just as forbidden as the Torah item itself. Now, Nazir is a prohibition that is not a lifetime prohibition. Why is Nazir not a lifetime prohibition? Because your typical Nazir is a Nazir for 30 days, right? Typical case of someone taking a vow not to, not to benefit from great products is only a 30-day vow. It is not a Nazirus Shimshin, which is a permanent Nazirus, right? And even Nazirus Shimshin, in theory, they could even go, they could even go to what's name? In theory, they could even go to, um, and in theory, the, one second, I lost the place. Um, sorry. Totally lost my train of thought. Um, Israel, right? It's like this. So a nazir, a nazir does not become prohibited to eat something forever. You only become prohibited to eat something for a temporary period of time. And the Isra, the prohibition that he has over here is not a prohibition to benefit from. A nazir is permitted to benefit from wine. It's only prohibited to, to actually drink it, but not to benefit from. Benefit is permitted. And it can become permitted to, to eat it. How does it become permitted to eat it? It become permitted to eat it even today if a Nazir would be matir neter, if he would find a way to take away his oath, not benefit from, to not drink the grapes. And still also by Tom Kaker, and still the Torah teaches that the flavor of the grapes is as forbidden to him as if it's actually the substance itself. Klein, which is a mixture of you know uh, grapes and uh, other grains, and the prohibition is going to be prohibited forever. And it's even forbidden to benefit from the climb. It's not just forbidden to eat, forbidden to benefit. And there's no way in which it's going to become permitted to eat. It is not then obvious that the time, that the flavor of the climb is just as prohibited as if the actual substance is here. And so too, when it comes to Arla, in two different two different points would also apply to Arla as opposed to um, to Nazir, right? Because Arla is forbidden to be benefited from and it's also will never become permitted, right? But you can't say that Arla is forbidden forever. What do we mean it's not forbidden forever? Because the Arla, the the um, the fruits of the tree after the year three will be permitted. So the Gemara says, this opinion of the Rabbana, and Rabbi Echanan, who learned Mishras for the other halacha, he is going like Rabbi Kiva, not like the Chachana. Which Rabbi Kiva? Hi, Rabbi Kiva. Elam Rabbi Kiva, the Masnisan, if it's Rabbi Kiva or Mishnah. We learned in the Mishnah, Rabbi Kiva, Emer Nazir, Shesharapit Debiyayin. If you have a Nazir who dips his or, or soaks his, um, his bread in wine, the Yish by Letzar of Kedek and there's enough between the bread and the wine to combine to a Kazayas worth of food, Chayat is going to be liable. Umimai do me pass umiyayin. And how do you know that it means from bread and wine? Maybe what it means is that the wine itself ended up soaking enough. I'm sorry, the bread itself soaked up enough wine that the wine itself was already of a sufficient quantity to be forbidden. Maybe it doesn't mean that the bread together with the wine made the requisite measure. Maybe it means the, the wine itself that was soaked is the requisite measure. Maybe you'll say it means from the wine itself. My remember that what's the chiddush that is prohibited? Of course, if it's from the wine itself, it's already sufficient. It's going to be prohibited. It's ready to measure. Of course, it's prohibited. The chiddush over here is like this: is that even though it's a mixture, it's still going to be liable. So we see from here that you are indeed liable, even though it's only a mixture that meets the requisite measure, and part of this is permitted. El Rabbi Kiva the Brises, rather must be Rabbi Kiva the Brises. Tanya, we learned in our Brises. Kiva Imer Nazir Shesharapit the Biyayin. If you have a Nazir. 
who who um who dips his or soaks his bread in wine. And he eats a kazayas worth from the bread and the wine. Chayiv is liable. Tam ki How does a rekiva know that tam is already considered to be like ikir? That the flavor is already sufficient to make it be considered like the main, the primary food in it? Yalaf mi He learns it out from the lav of basar b'chalav, mixing meat and milk together. Lav taima ba'almavu. Right? For basar b'chalav, it's only taima. It's only the flavor that the meat is getting from the milk. Vaser and still it's forbidden. Achanami so too over here with all other prohibited objects, even though it's just flavor that it's received, that's already sufficient to render it prohibited. say I cannot learn out from meat and milk mixed together, then indeed it is just time and still is prohibited. But that's only true over there. The Chiddush, because that's a special Chiddush that the Torah teaches us that it's prohibited. And you can't learn out from a special Chiddush that the Torah teaches to elsewhere. And what's the Chiddush? What's the Chiddush that Pasuk is prohibited? Right? Is the Chiddush that meat by itself permitted? Milk by itself permitted? You might have thought to say, that itself is a tremendous Chiddush that the Torah tells us is forbidden. So therefore, Klayim, but Klayim also then, you can't say that's only Basar Chalav and nowhere else, because what's Klaim? Klaim is grapes together with grain. Grapes are permitted, grain is permitted, you mix them together, they're prohibited. So if the same way Basar Chalav would be pro- prohibited to benefit from when they're mixed together, then so too Klaim would also be prohibited to benefit from if they're mixed together. Ella di'i tarulei kuli shari. Rather, the Chiddush over here is like this. that It's a very interesting halacha. On a total level, if you walked in and you took a a, 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 a a burger, right, and you cooked your burger, and then you took your burger and you put it onto your onto your um, onto your bun, and you wait five minutes, the burger cools down a little bit. On a total level, you'd be permitted to take the monster cheese or whatever cheese you want to put on, and stick that cheese on and make yourself a nice cheeseburger. So it's not going to melt fully, right? But you'll be allowed to make a cheeseburger on a total level. On a total level, it's only prohibited to eat meat and milk, which was actually cooked together, right? So it's a tremendous chiddish. You're not allowed to eat meat and milk cooked together. Oh, it's not cooked together? You can eat it happily, one bite, loop, put it all together, that's totally fine. That's a tremendous chiddish. Rebekiva, of course, he acknowledges the basar b'chalav is a completely unique, novel idea. So how can you learn out from there? Eliyalaf mi ge'ule nachrim. So rather, he learns it out from the ge'ule nachrim, which is the halacha, that when you have a pot that was used by a non-Jew or a pot that belongs to a non-Jew, what's the halacha? You have to do hagala before you're allowed to use them. What's the hagala? You have to boil up the pot. You have to boil up hot water and then stick those pots into the hot water and that will consider to take out the flavor and then the, the pot will be considered neutral again. Yulei nachem laftayma ba'almavu. Ba'asr. Yulei nachem. What's the problem with yulei nachem? Let me ask you something. When you take a pot that was used, it's not a dirty pot, it's totally clean, but it was used yesterday, right? And then you start cooking in that pot. Is there actual substance coming into the food that you're cooking in the pot? No, there's no substance. It's just flavor. And still it's forbidden on a Torah level. So too, in general, when you have tam, it becomes ke'ikr. The flavor is sufficient to be rendered as if there's actual substance in it. Rabbanan, the Chamu don't say that on a Torah level. They also would say, you know what? The idea of the, that the, the pots that were used by non-Jew, that itself is a chedesh. Because typically, what do we say? Famous halacha, right? Very important halacha. Basim chalav halacha. You guys need to know one halacha about basim chalav. This is probably the most important halacha to know if you want to be lenient. 
Halakha is like this. There's something called Naisen Tam Lifgam, which means that, that when the prohibited substance is, is imparting a flavor, but it's a negative flavor, that does not render anything prohibited. Now, what's a classic case of Naisen Tam Lifgam? A day-old pot, okay? which is why we always say Stam Stam kederis are considered to be day-old kederis. Typically, we assume that pot is not used twice in one day. So if someone calls and says, look, I had a milkic pot. Why is it milkic? Because I used it two days ago. What did you do with that pot? I cooked something flaschics in it. You used that pot two days ago? Depending on the scenario, it might be completely permitted still to eat the food in the pot, right? You might have to worry about the pot, but you might still be permitted to eat the food. Because the fact that the bleus, the fact that the absorptions into the walls of the vessel are now going to be coming out into your flaschic food, that the absorption, the flavor that's coming out of the wall is two-day-old food. Two-day-old food doesn't taste good. So it's nice and calm with gum. It is imparting a negative flavor. And therefore, you still be permitted to eat it. So on a Torah level, not an issue, right? We learn out from Nevela, right? That um, that only the Nevela itself is prohibited, but not the flavor of the Nevela. And Nevela is an animal that died without Shita. And still we say that the, the pots of the non-Jew have to be completely purged through Hagala before it be permitted to use for flavor. Even though on a Torah level, is mutter. Rabbi Kiva, Rabbi Kiva was like the son of Rabbi Kiva, the son of Rabbi Kiva, the son of The Torah indeed only prohibited by a non-Jew a pot that was actually used on that day. So therefore, that pot is not going to be imparting a flavor that's considered to be automatically negative because that flavor is actually still a good flavor because the flavor that is less than a day old, we consider that to be a good flavor. Once the pot flavor that had come into the walls of the pot are now coming back out are more than a day old, we consider that to be bad for them. So they're, they're going to say, the Chachamim would seem to be saying that even the flavor of a pot that was used on that very day is also going to have some, some measure of no same time of gamma, giving a bad flavor. From the opinion of the Chachamim, we understand the opinion of Rabbi Kiva. Do we not say it from the Chachamim? They understand that Mishras, the Pasuk of Mishras, is coming to teach you, is coming to teach you that the flavoring is considered as substantive as, as the Iker, as the main. From here, you can learn all other prohibitions in the Torah. So to Mishras, Mishras is, is teaching you, according to Rekiva, that something which is permitted can be Mitzarif, to render something forbidden, right? In other words, it will combine with forbidden, right? To make up the requisite measure. From here, you can learn to all Isurim in the Torah. What are we trying to get to at the end of the day? What we're trying to establish over here is, why is Rabbi Yechanan in yesterday's daf, right? The end of yesterday's daf, Rabbi Yechanan said, when do we say you can combine food items that are permitted with food items that are prohibited to reach the requisite measure of prohibition? Only by an here, but nowhere else. Now. According to Rabbi Kiva, really it should be elsewhere as well, because Rabbi Kiva was indeed willing to learn out combining from the case of other prohibited items and permitted items from other cases. He was not limiting it just to Nazir at all. So what are we going to do with this? Okay. So tomorrow we're going to answer this question of how is it that Rabbi Yechanan limited it just to the case of the Nazir for mixing prohibited and prohibited, and not just to other cases as well, and in theory other cases as well should also be prohibited too. Um, the learning tonight was in Ischus Rufu Shlema for Shmuel Leib Ben Fegachana.